How's everyone doing? Oh, that family has gathered. Yeah. Want to welcome you. If this is your first time, we're glad that you're here. Uh, if you're joining us online, we want to welcome you too as well. Uh, my name is Pastor Jake. I get the privilege to serve here uh, as the ministry's pastor and get an occasion to teach. And, and we're in a cool series um, that I love, um, but I want to jump right in the deep water. Is that okay with you guys? Yeah. All right, let's do it. If you got your Bibles, pull them out. We're going to look at the book of Mark. Uh, which is one of the shortest of the Gospels. Uh, Mark's in the New Testament. Chapter 5, verse 21, this is our text. It's an incredible story. And it's one of those uh, narratives that when you read it at face value, it's, it's incredible. But when you pop the hood open, man, and you see what's going on underneath and what God's doing, I'm telling you, it's gonna excite you. So Mark chapter 5, verse 21, this is what our text reads. It says, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. They came, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet. And he implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Now, stop there real quick. Now, let's gauge this. Is this, um, is this the point of death? Is this a uh, phone call to the doctor, uh, an urgent care visit, or a 911? 911, right? You feel the urgency. Point of death. It's not like, let's just schedule something with the doctor here. No, he's desperate, right? He says, come, Jesus, and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So even in this last-ditch effort, he has the faith uh, to do this. And it says in verse 24 that Jesus went with him, right? He hops in the ambulance, right? He goes towards the emergency. He wants to heal. He wants to see life. But then another interruption happens. It says, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. Uh, that's not six feet of separation there, okay? Thronged, <laughs> no thronging in COVID, right? We've learned this, all right? But a great crowd, they didn't know that. They, they thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for how long? 12 years. We're not even given a name for this woman, but we're told of her horrible situation. For 12 years, she's suffered with this, verse 26. And who, had, or, uh, and who had suffered under many physicians and had spent all that she had. So not only was she sick for a long time, but she was poor too. And she was no better, but she was no, and was no better, but rather grew worse. So at the end of the day, after 12 years, she's still in, the, she's worse off than she started. Uh, Steve Jobs, how many of you guys know Steve Jobs, right? Co-creator of Apple Computers. Not known as a spiritual guy, right? Uh, he later in life picked up some new age philosophies, but when he was 12 years old, uh, Steve wrote in his, in his biography, it was told that he was reading a Life magazine one day and he read about the starvation of children, that children were dying in the thousands. Uh, I think it was in Africa. And this Life magazine was doing a piece and on the cover it showed uh, the, the death of all these starving children. And, and this really bugged him. And so he took it to a Sunday school teacher and uh, he asked him, he said, uh, sir, does God know which hand I'm gonna raise before I raise it? And the Sunday school teacher said, yeah, of course he does, he's God. And then he laid down this magazine and he said, does God know that this is happening and does he not do anything about it? And the Sunday school, how would you answer that? <laughs> 12 years old, man, he asked this. And the Sunday school teacher says, Steve, 
I know this is really hard for you to understand. But yes, God knew. God knows. Steve said, I will never follow an immoral God that would stand by and let this kind of evil happen. And he never walked into the door of a church again. It set in motion one belief, one thought set in motion his spiritual life for the rest of his life. And here's the deal, is I have a hunch that there are some people in here that might have the same thought, that might be struggling with the same question. What about tragedy? What about death? What about these things that, that, that genocide and things that seem so evil and so wrong? Like, where is God in all that? Maybe you have the question. We're gonna unpack that. So would you join me as we pray and then we're, we're gonna dig into the story. God, we're here today because our ears are open and we wanna hear from our creator. This can be a heavy subject, Father. You know it, you've been blamed, God, and, and seen as a monger for thousands of years, God. Give us truth today. We wanna know, God, where you stand on this. And God, would you just bring a new, fresh anointing for life? God, um, a new season, as Kathy was praying, God, a new season, God, for your church, and not just your church, but for your people. In your name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. April 20th, 1999. Did anyone remember April 20th? Some of you might not, but you're going to as soon as I tell you. April 20th, 1999, two boys walked into Columbine High School and I don't know how else to say it, murdered, killed, destroyed the legacy of a school. Lives were killed. You remember the day, I'm sure, right? We had never seen anything like this. Was there school shooting? There there had been school shooting, but nothing on the national stage like this. Nothing that we had all watched on TV as students came running out of that place. I I knew a student. I was mutual friends with one of the students that that was at gunpoint. And I remember even then, and this is what, many years ago, right? Asking the question, uh, where is God in this? Like, I'm running for my life. Gunshots, my friends are dead. Where is, did God allow this? Did God create this? All the questions that we ask, right? And people, people give some stupid answers sometimes when they don't know what to say, right? People say, well, it, uh, God just wants to grow something in you. Really? Like, The Atlantic did an article on Columbine High School about two years ago, and in it, they did this graph. It was really interesting. They said it was the first of its kind. It was the first nationally televised school shooting. But since then, and they they used this kind of mind map almost to show that since Columbine High School, those two boys have influenced at least 17 or 20 other mass shootings. That means whatever they did, other people admired, wanted to join, wanted to be as infamous. I don't know what kind of sick thoughts go on, but what we see is a snowball effect, don't we? Look, I mean, just a couple weeks ago, in Boulder, just up north, 
We saw this and we're all asking questions in the middle of that. If you, if you're, if you have a brain, God, where are you? Why does, if you're so powerful and so good, why don't you do something? July 21st, 1989 was a day for me that I'll never forget. My dad was driving a car and had a cerebral hemorrhage. His car bounced the median and was hit by a, a truck. If he had lived, he would have been paralyzed for the rest of his life. And in one moment, an 11-year-old Jake and his brother and sister were without a father. And I remember nights just crying, asking God these questions. Why my dad? Why does, why does this happen? I thought you were good. I thought you were loving. Why couldn't you prevent this? Why couldn't you let it happen to someone else? Right? Like we have this, this mindset that, that, that God could just take over someone, right? Like could take over a situation and just like I'm just walking and all of a sudden, like, yeah, you know, and you wake up the next day. What happened? I don't know. I just, I, I don't know why I was just loving. I don't know. Right? We don't know. Where is God in all of this? I, I remember one person said, said, well, Jake, I guess, you know, heaven just needed another choir singer. Really? No, no. You're telling me dad, you know, God took my dad because he needed another tenor? Uh-uh, I'm, I'm not buying it. God, where are you? Have you asked these questions before? Maybe you're asking them often. When you turn on the news, it's hard not to, to look at this and ask these questions. You know, Barna did some research and they, they, they pulled everyone and they asked them this. If you could ask God one question in the whole world, one question, what would it be? The number one answer, the number one answer by far is why is there evil and suffering in the world? Married couples voted for it twice as much too, by the way. <laughs> Why is there so much evil and suffering? It's a question we've asked all the time, right? And don't always get an answer to, or we get an answer that might be uncomfortable. I wanna look at the scripture. I wanna unpack this today. I wanna figure out what God wants to say. So we're in a series called God Cannot. And it's a very theological series because we're digging into the scriptures. We're, we're asking hard questions. What can, when you first heard that, did that take you back a little bit? What, God cannot? I thought God could do anything, right? Right? But even if you look at the scriptures, it literally says there are things that God cannot do, right? God cannot lie, right? It says that when we are faithless, God is faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. Faithfulness is part of love. It's just who he is. He can't deny it, right? It'd be like you trying to separate your personality from yourself. It just, it's just not possible. So here's what I want to give you today as my God cannot. And I wanna let it soak a little because it might punch you in the gut a little. <laughs> and it might have a giant thud in your, in your soul and that's okay because we're gonna look at this and I believe you're gonna find that God is a lot more loving and a lot more powerful than you think, even though it sounds off. Are you ready? Here it is. God cannot prevent evil single-handedly. Let me say it again. Let us sink in a little bit. God cannot prevent evil 
single-handedly. Every word there is carefully chosen. Now, before we dig into this, we've, let's define evil real quick, okay? Uh, in, what we're, in what we're talking about today. There are struggles we go through and trials, okay? We're not talking about these kind of things, the things that sharpen and, and, and uh, grow our faith, okay? We're talking about today genuine evil, okay? Murder, genocide, rape, incest, molestation, holocaust, war, betrayal. Are you with me? This is what we're talking about. Why does God not step in and do something? If God's so powerful, if God's so loving, why does he, and maybe you're like me growing up saying this, God allowed it. Did God allow it? Because that sounds a, a lot like, you know, God is there, but just chooses not to intervene. That bugs me. So let's unpack this. And we're gonna go all the way back to the beginning. So guys, can you help me? Bring me back to the Garden of Eden. <laughs> all right, you need some help here, okay. All right, there you go. Are we good? Are you seeing the picture now? <laughs> In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. <sighs> right? And it says that when God created things, he said it was? Good. Did God create evil? Did God create sin? No. We know at the very beginning, God created Eden and it was perfect. There was no tears, there was no cancer, there was no sickness, there was no betrayal, there was no lies, there was no hurt, murder, none of it. If I could make these lights stronger, I would. If I could make it as pure white as possible, I would because that is what your life and my life was intended to be in. But God had an interesting choice when he created us. The first choice was he had to ask the question, will I choose to love mankind? Now, we'll learn later that this is his nature. So he, he didn't have a choice, really. Um, he was going to love us. But even more importantly, he had the choice to ask, will I choose to let them love me? You say, why is that a big deal? I don't understand. Because if God doesn't give us the choice, the free will, then we do whatever we're told to do. Does this make sense? So God gives us the choice. He says, I want true love. And true love can only be experienced if someone chooses to love you. Uh, my sister, she had a doll growing up. Some of you had it. You'd pull a string on the back and it says, I love you. <laughs> Have you seen this before, right? Question, does that doll love me? Yeah. No. Why? Well, one, it doesn't have a soul, right, or any ability. But why? Be because it's programmed to tell me it loves me. It has no choice to tell me that. And when God created mankind, when he created you, when he created me, he gave us the ability to choose to love him. And that means that we can choose life and God and love or we can choose 
evil, destruction, sin, and the like. Does this make sense? When God gave us this ability then, then he automatically tells us because of that choice, any one of us has the ability to choose evil to choose to do something destructive, do something wrong, do something evil. And God cannot stop it because love never forces itself on anything. And God in his nature, you gotta understand this. If you get anything of this, you gotta understand this. In God's nature, who he is, it's love. John, uh, First John, it tells us God is love. And it's so easy for us to just... Gloss over that. You don't understand. This is just, it's who he is. 100% of the time, you, you could go up to God, could you quit, stop? Can you just stop loving me? He's like, I can't, help, I can't help it. It's who I am. You can't make God love you any more than he does or any less. He just loves. It's his personality, 100% all the time. He knows no other way. It is his nature. And because of that, like in 1 Corinthians, we're told love is patient, love is kind, right? Does not envy, it does not force itself. Love cannot just say, do this. That's not love. It has to be a choice. And because of that, people will choose destruction and evil while we're in it. So this is what happens. Adam takes a bite of the apple and sin for the first time enters the story. And because of that, sin and evil and heartache and brokenness and addiction and darkness now cover and break up the light that was once Eden. And from this point on, we see the slow decay of mankind and its creation. Romans 8, it tells us, since sin enters in, three kinds of evil are given to us. Three kinds of evil enter. Uh, genuine evil, like we talked about, moral evil, right? The, the choices me and you make that have uh, snowball effects, right? Some psychologists, they tell us this, that 95% of the the suffering that we, we experience in this world is due to our moral sins, our individual moral, whatever, selfishness, um, you know, pride, whatever it is, those things have, and, and, and it travels down, doesn't it? It's infectious that way, right? Uh, Romans 8, the, the third kind of evil is natural evil. We see literally the destruction or the decay of our natural earth. Romans 8 says that the creation itself is groaning for Christ to come back. It's groaning to see the renewal of all things. But until that time, we see this decay. We see this slow crumbling and darkness begins. We, hello, are you with me? Yes. Do you sense this? Right? Uh, mass shoot. It, 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 it all, it, we, we see this every day we wake up and it's like, are you kidding me? How much more? Jesus, come back. It seems like a snowball effect, right? 
And, and when we ask this question, God, or when we make the statement, God cannot prevent evil uh, single-handedly, we, we don't want to know, because I want a God that's empath- uh, that's uh, that empath- empath- what's the word I'm looking for? empathizes that's it thank you i'm learning to speak english today i want a god that will empathize with me okay i want to i do i i do when i'm going through and suffering through something i want a god that will be there with me but i there's this girl who wrote a book and and she was she talks about a time that she was raped and the week afterwards she had this dream that jesus was there while she was being raped and was kind of holding her hand and comforting her. And she woke up and she felt a great sense of peace at first, but then a lot of anger. Wait a minute, you were there the whole time? And you, you, like we want a God that can empathize, but at the same time, we want a God that is not, like when we say God allows evil, then it's almost as if God is present during some of these evil things and chooses not to step in. I, I don't think, when we, when we see the overall nature of God, let's look at Jesus, right? We're told if we want to see the, the, the character of God, look at Jesus. Could you imagine Jesus in that kind of situation? being there with her. Do you see Jesus standing still, not doing anything? I don't. I see Jesus stepping in and doing something. So our God, he empathizes. He also, he also never wastes a hurt or a pain. He does his best from the moment that this uncontrollable, this, this evil is entered, from the moment that starts, he's working his best to squeeze every bit of good out of that situation. But in the meantime, people will still choose to do bad things. And God can't prevent it because he's given you free will to choose to love him. So what does God do then? What is God's plan for all this? (laughs) Check this out. Numbers uh, chapter 19, verses 11. Whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean seven days. He shall cleanse himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day and so be cleaned. But if he does not cleanse himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not become clean. Whoever touches a dead person, the body of anyone who has died and does not cleanse himself defiles the tabernacle of the Lord and that person shall be cut off from Israel because the water for impurity was not thrown on him. He shall be unclean. His uncleanliness is still on him. All right, follow me now to Leviticus chapter 15, verses 25. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, how many thought you'd hear that verse at church today, huh? (laughs) What'd you learn at church? Oh, Leviticus. (laughs) If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge, she shall continue in what? 
uncleanliness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as the bed of impurity. And everything on which she sits shall be unclean, as in the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. So there's these... There's this, this system of reconciliation that God sets up, right? There's this fall of man. There's sin now introduced. And God can't be in the presence of sin, but he still longs for a relationship with you, for his creation. He still wants you to choose for him, for you to come to him. And so God builds this system of reconciliation where he says, if you want to be clean again, and there's different ways that you can make yourself unclean, whether it's sin or just doing something uh, of, the un, of the ceremonially unclean laws that we re- read about here. If you touch a dead body, a woman in her, uh, during her period, like these are, these are things that, create, that, that make you unclean. And God says, we can take care of it though. I'm not gonna leave you in that. So he created the system where we could sacrifice animals. Blood had to be spilled, right? There's life in the blood. And so there has to be a cost for it. And so there's an animal sacrifice that we're given. There's, there's baths that we're to do, all right? There's all these procedures that God gives us so that we can restore our relationship back with him. There's a book uh, by the guy, a guy by the name of A.J. Jacobs. Anyone ever heard of him? <clears throat> he wrote a book called A Year of Living Biblically. He's not a believer, but he decided for a whole year to live by all the 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And uh, one of them was this, uh, if if his girlfriend at the time uh, was on her period, anything she touched, obviously like we just read, was now impure. And they were having a fight and she just went around and touched everything. She's like, (laughs) he had to sleep in the corner. He was so mad. But this is what it was like. Now imagine this is life, right? That we don't come in contact with dead things, right? Dead people, we've got hospitals. We have all this kind of space and separation between dead things. But in in earlier days, in most of our history, being around dead things was pretty common. People died. We lived in a house in Pennsylvania. It was built in the late 1800s. And I always wondered, I was like, how many people died in this house, right? There was no hospitals. Like you, when you died, you died at home, right? Hopefully. <laughs> and, and, and so it was more common for you to touch a dead animal, a dead person, dead grandpa, whatever it was, okay? Um, and so if you did, you had to go, what? Become clean, you had to wash yourself. If, if you, a woman was on her period, right? She had to leave the camp. She had to go outside the camp and become ceremonially clean again. So God builds this system. And here's what's cool is when they would sacrifice the animal to cover your sins, say uh, on the day of atonement, they would take um, <clears throat> the goat and they would lay this red cord actually on its head. Does that look familiar like anything? by the way, they would lay it on the goat's head. And by doing that, it was, it was signifying that all the sins of all the people were now on this thing, okay? That it was going to the, to the goat and the goat would be uh, led away. And the other, the other goat was then sacrificed. It was, your sins were covered over. And they would take this red cord, it became habit, and they would hang it on the door of the tabernacle. And then the next day, they would wake up and magically the cord would be white. 
Though your sins be like scarlet, they will be washed white as snow. This was, now, and get this, this is not a Christian uh, commentary that's recording this. This is a Jewish non-believing record of it. It's the Talmud. It tells us of this habit, this practice of this red cord going up, but then... But then something changed with it. But it was a signifying thing that said, basically, it was a visual for you and me and all of us in our town to look up and go, okay, my, re- my relationship is restored. Sin is no longer a ruler in my life. I can walk away. No, I'm not covered in sin, but I'm white as snow. I'm pure. Are you with me? All right. Now check this out. <clears throat> well, let's see where we're going to go. Um, let's go back to our Mark five story. Okay. So we have this father who's, who's on an emergency run back to his, his daughter, right? Who's, who's at the point of death. We later find out that she dies. Okay. And Jesus is, you know, metaphorically in the ambulance running towards this emergency when he's interrupted, the ambulance is stopped. Hey, this woman with the issue of blood has an issue. And it's almost as if Jesus steps out. Uh, Could you imagine Jarius? The, the synagogue ruler, like, my daughter, <laughs> like she's, uh, 911, come on. And Jesus is like, well, I just want to talk with this woman, <laughs> you know? And you're like, what is going on? It says that the woman touches the hem of her, gar- uh, the hem of Jesus's garments. Uh, another word that we translate that to is tassels. It's tassels. And a rabbi in those days would wear a prayer shawl wherever he went. <clears throat> and uh, Jewish people today will wear what they call a tzitzit. Everyone say tzitzit. tzitzit. And you can see under, it was like an undershirt now, and it's got tassels with knots. Have you seen this before? A lot of Jewish uh, people will wear them. Uh, and each knot represents one of the commandments, one of the 613 commandments that God gives right? And so it was, a, it was a reminder. You would touch it. You would rub it and you'd go, God, you're so faithful. Thank you for giving us the instructions to life. But in Malachi, it says this, when prophesying about the coming Messiah, the one that would rescue, not just the Jewish people, but the whole world, it tells this, <clears throat> Malachi chapter four, verse two. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, the Messiah, shall rise with healing in its wings and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. That, that term, it was very commonly known in the, to the Jewish people that the coming Messiah would have healing in his wings. And another word for that is those tassels. That there was underneath that, um, uh, as the Messiah comes, there would be healing that comes. And and this woman took this literally and said, okay, under the, it's the tassels. And this is why Jesus stopped, by the way, to explain to her what was going on. This isn't some magical thing, okay? This is why he stopped. But she's healed instantly. The faith that she has. Can you imagine the the 12 years of suffering? 12 years of going through this and all of a sudden it stops after she touches Jesus. Do you remember what the law said if you were to touch someone that was a woman that was on her period? She had to go get clean, right? This was how it worked, sin. um, uh, Just like a virus, it travels downwards. No one taught you to lie, 
you just learned it somehow growing. Like it just spread that way. Sin and our nature to sin, it it naturally flows out and it travels. It passes from one to the next, right? No one just magically does good. Like we have to train ourselves to do that. So something is, is, something's different. Now, then we go to Jairus' house where the daughter, the 12-year-old daughter, another 12-year-old, dies. And he comes in and, and he says, she's just sleeping. And they're all laughing at him. And he goes up and this is what he does. Read the story, it's amazing. He grabs her hand. He touches the dead girl's hand. Now, what's supposed to happen there? Un, right? The uncleanliness is supposed to transfer now. To, now he's got to go get treated. Do you see how this works? But it didn't. Something else happened. Something else underneath the hood is happening here. Something is reversing. Something is changing. Because instead of it passing towards Jesus, it didn't just stop, but something from Jesus actually passed to her. She was, he, she was awake. She is alive now. It's almost as if two forces collided and whatever Jesus had just started taking over now instead of the opposite where sin does. Are, are you following me? Same with the woman. She touches him, his garment, doesn't matter, it's still him. He's supposed to be unclean, but instead something else happens. The curse is being reversed. The decay is now, some, listen, if you think Jesus dying on the cross was just for you to get a ticket to heaven punched, you're missing out on more of it. Because what Jesus did on the cross, what Jesus did when he came is he began the renewal of all things. He began to bring back what was originally supposed to be. He doesn't leave you in evil. He doesn't leave you in decay. He doesn't leave you in the brokenness. Instead, he asks you to join him. Come on, join me. Things are changing. You see the snowball of sin and evil. I see another snowball coming. I see another move coming. I see another thing that you're gonna look at and go, this thing's growing, something's going on. God's up to something. John, in the book of Revelations, paints this picture of the end, the end of the story, the end of the restoration, when everything will be made whole and everything will be made new. And I want you to hear this and see if you catch a word that's repeated over and over. Then I saw a new heaven and a what? A new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. 
and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be no mourning, no crying, no pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Oh, What's the word you, you catch over and over in that verse? New, new. In the Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, there's two Greek words for the word new. Kainos, everyone say kainos. And neos. Well done. Kainos, well, neos means new as in um, time and product. So a new baby. So a, a new product, a new thing right? A brand new thing. A baby has, has a, a, a new set of life and it's brand new. Kanos new though is different. It's new without the, another translation is fresh. It's not new with the age. It's a different new. It's Kanos without the neos. It's as if Everything is being made fresh and new, even though it's not brand new. Do you hear me? This is where we're going. This is what we're moving towards. And to prove it, check this out. The Talmud, right? Not a Christian Jewish testimony, okay? Uh, Not a, a Jesus testimony, okay? Tells us that the red cord for many years they would see this tradition, the symbol of their sins, right? Being washed anew. It says this though in the Talmud, that about 40 years before the destruction of the second temple, that all of a sudden the red cord changing white stopped. It just stopped. They would go out the next morning and the red cord would still be red. Now, 40 years before the destruction of the second temple is about 70 AD minus, that puts us roughly around 30 AD. Anyone know someone that lived around that time that might've changed the history forever? It's as if God is saying, the way it used to work doesn't work anymore because I'm doing a new thing, a new thing in you. And I want to ask you to join me. If God cannot stop evil single-handedly because he cannot force his love and he cannot force you to choose. If God cannot stop evil single-handedly and yet he loves his creation and wants to see, right, the light of the world spread here, how else is he going to do that? Through me and you we get to join him in the restoration of all things. We get to partner with him in making all things new. We get to be a part of seeing healings. We get to be a part of watching anxiety and depression. We get to be a part of that. When you look at this, it's as if, right, the light is shining, but in true reality, when everything flipped, when Jesus reversed everything, the light now comes out of here. The light is up here. It's as if darkness is trying to come in here, but light is now breaking through. And we're seeing this. 
as much as we see the evil snowballing, we begin to see Jesus doing amazing things. Listen to this. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I tell you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen. What do gates protect? They protect whatever it's trying to protect, right? A city, a town, right? They're not an offensive thing. The gates of hell will not prevail. It's saying the things that's guarding hell, hell, whew, church, if you get this, it won't hold because the light is breaking through, baby. And we're seeing the renewal of all things and everything that was is not as it's going to be because it will be new. No more cancer, no more hurt, no more pain. He will wipe away every tear. Yes. And just because you don't experience healing now doesn't mean that you will, won't someday be made whole. Do I got time for one more story? You guys good? <clears throat> I was, um, geez, 30 years ago, I was in a youth ministry in, in Lakewood, Colorado, <clears throat> you know, not too far. And uh, we had an interim youth pastor at the time. <clears throat> I haven't told this story. I told it to a foundations class a little while ago, but it felt it really uh, like it was a private thing. Um, but in writing this message, I feel like God wanted to share it. I think he's stirring up something special, man. Uh, my youth pastor had gone on a missions trip. He was an interim youth pastor. I couldn't even tell you his name. I couldn't tell you a message he preached. Like, I, don't, I literally only remember this. He came back from a missions trip. Um, I thought it was South Africa, but it couldn't have been South Africa, okay? It was some other foreign country. And uh, they were having a large gathering. And some of the ladies, none of them spoke English in, in whatever country they were at. And all of a sudden, one lady in the back started speaking in tongues, in a, in a foreign language, in English. <laughs> she had no idea what she was saying, but she was proclaiming it prophetically over the whole group. Afterwards, the youth pastor that I knew, he, he went up to her and he talked to her and he said, do you, uh, do you know what you were saying at all? And she's like, I have no idea. I don't know. I was speaking English? Like she was surprised that she was speaking English. <laughs> what? This is what she said. He came back and told us, never forgot it, that God is going to have one last and greatest revival. And it's gonna start in Denver, Colorado. It's gonna start in Denver. Listen, we've had the scar of Columbine for so long. And we've seen the spiral. We've seen the snowball effect that the enemy wants to mark this state forever with. I'm here to tell you that God's up to something different. And the brokenness and the evil that we see around us, even though God cannot prevent it single-handedly, me and you can jump in and be the hands and feet of God. And we can see revive. When you pray, by the way, when you pray, does, is prayer important? Of course it is. It's the thing that breaks through the darkness. It's the thing that's lining up heaven and earth. Your prayers matter. Sometimes we, we, we think like, God, you remember the preschool teacher that sits down and is like, at the end of the day with all our, all our kids, like, all right, guys, it's the end of the day. If you don't clean all this up, no one's going home, right? You remember this? Now, are any of those kids not going home? No. Me and you know at the end of the day, who's cleaning that all up? 
the, the preschool teacher, right? We know that. But, but here's the deal. A lot of us think that that's us and God. Like God says, hey, I want you to do this. I want you to be the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And we're like, okay, okay. But we know at the end of the day, God's just gonna take care of it anyways. Uh-uh, uh-uh. He needs you. He needs me. He needs your light to break through. He needs your prayers. Why would God do this? Why would God, if God knew we would fall, if God knew evil would be here, that we would create evil, why would he even create us? I'll tell you why. Any parents in the, in the room? If I had told you before you had your kid, let me tell you, these kids, they poop a lot. <laughs> they ignore you. They talk back to you a lot. They don't always listen. They could be grumpy sometimes. If I told you all that, right? Would that have changed your mind? Probably not. Why? Because of this. The risk is worth the reward. And when God created you and gave you the choice, the ability, he knew that evil would come from that, that some people would choose to turn away from him. But he also knew that there would be some that choose to partner with him to bring about the restoration of all things. We get to be a part of that. You get to be a part of that. And the world is waiting to see it. Would you bow your head in prayer with me? Father, I don't know how many people here or people that are even listening have felt so much, um, maybe have walked away from their faith because of this one thought, this one idea that, that maybe God, that you were ignoring it, that you were there and not present. God, I don't know what the, the, the lie is, but God, sometimes it's easy for us to believe these things. And I pray that you would call your sons and daughters home. God, as we gather, as we meet, as we seek your face, God, would you allow us to be a light in the world, a city on a hill, God? Would you allow the light to break through? Every day we wake up, every prayer we pray, every new morning, God, would it be another day that you break heaven through here to earth, God? May we see miracles, God, greater than, than we even read about in the, in the New Testament, God. May we see uh, bondages and addictions, God, anxiety and depression broken, God, because your light has come. God, we want this newness and we wanna join you in doing it. Allow us to do this. In your name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Thank you, guys.